0: morning show today on WRC Radio focuses on EMS Week. It's an incredibly important week, and spring is the perfect time to celebrate it. And we have a gentleman who knows very well why that's important. Darren Gudgeon is our guest today. He is the Emergency Services Director here in Richland County. And we're going to share about EMTs. We're going to talk about first responders. We're going to talk about the whole aspect of emergency service that provides service to all of us every day of the week. Well, to you, the EMTs, the first responders that serve with you, our thanks for your service and our congratulations on the work you do, dear, and welcome. Thank you, Ron. It, it, it isn't week though that you use really to educate. It's not so much about say you know see all of us. It's how can we help you, you
1: know, in greater and larger ways, and how can you help us be more effective? Well, that's that's one of our primary goals. EMS is um, besides responding to emergencies, one of the um, one of the other. Uh, tasks that have been put upon us is to educate the public. And sometimes that's educating the public in partnership with the hospital and clinic on maybe diabetes or stroke or cardiac emergencies. And um, I think now more than ever, it's just um, helping the public understand um, EMS because it's changing. The EMS world's very dynamic right now. Um, We're shifting more towards a healthcare type of industry rather than a, you know, public safety type. Um, And, um, you know, the, the need for people um, is affecting all communities. Um, so how do we help those communities understand how to recruit and then retain those folks, um, but give them a realistic view of what they're getting into as far as the education piece?
0: Those who ride in an ambulance today have probably had more training, have been had more expected of them than anyone who's sat in that seat before, haven't
1: they? I, I would say that's a pretty good assumption. I can look back at you know twenty so years ago when I first went through the class and and uh, obtained my EMT license. Um, the number of hours in the course then was one uh, hundred Ten hours. Now it's 180, and that's not counting clinicals. That's not counting lab practice. That's not counting patient contacts and things like that. Um, and the medicine that's being delivered pre-hospital care now at the EMT and advanced EMT level and paramedic level has increased, um, you know, exponentially since I first started. And and I think there's a lot that 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 has been accomplished with that. Um, but it's it's really wrestling with. Um, how much is too much and, and yet let's not shortchange the public that we serve and not give them you know, the skills that they, they need to be able to have a good outcome from their medical emergency.
0: How much is too much? How much is enough? That's a that's a tough balance, isn't it?
1: It is, um, and I, I've seen it even more so being an instructor now for Southwest Tech for three years, and teaching both the EMT and the advanced EMT, and watching the students come in and talking to community members that had sponsored them and services that have sponsored them. Um, just um, how difficult it is. It's a it's a four college credit course. Um, uh, going from everything from anatomy physiology to pharmacology um, to emergency systems specific to each body system to trauma to hazardous materials um, to, you know, incident management. It's, it's a whole lot that goes into it um, and communities that support those those uh, men and women that go into EMS um, and those services that really get behind them and back them. Um, typically those students are are pretty successful, but it's it's uh, still a long grueling process to, you know, learn all of this stuff in such a short period of time.
0: I'm not sure, Darren, but it seems to me in some ways there may be some irony that where that service is needed the most is in the rural area, where it may be the hardest to get. If you were in a major metropolitan area, you'd be close to some major
1: trauma center. Not true here. Right. And That's just, that's one of the things that I've... I, I, being in this as long as I have, that's one thing I shake my head at all the time. And this is not to take away from the larger communities in, in throughout the country and even our state that have that. But when... When, you, when communities who are within 15 minutes drive time of a level one trauma center can have, you know, flight and medic service um, within five minutes and the folks in the rural area sometimes have to wait 15 minutes for an ambulance to even get there, um, it's just a conundrum that I can't wrap my head around. Um, having a paramedic level service in the rural area, um, there's great benefit to it. but the other issue is the cost. Um, and there's a cost associated with everything. So when you don't have the tax base and your communities are smaller, how do you muster up the financial support, um, to, to have that, that level of care, um, where in a larger city you have a larger tax base, you have more industry. And, and so the, 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 the financial support is there. Um, the heart I mean, our community, um, we're, we're all blessed. All of the ambulance services in the area are, are blessed to have a community that, that backs all of us the way they do. So it's not that the heart's not there. It's just uh, how do you find the funding for it? Um, and then you start talking about Medicare Medicaid funding, which is a huge you know, uh, source of income for ambulance services, but um, you know, it doesn't nearly cover the cost of running one.
0: Which leaves you in the same boat as our healthcare care facilities
1: then, doesn't it? Absolutely. We all fall under the same we all fall under the same rules. Um, for instance, uh, a Medicare reimbursement, um, looking at our latest graft, um, 63% of our patients that we provide service for utilize Medicare as their primary insurance. And so what that tells me is that we have um, a lot of folks in our area that are either on fixed incomes or have retirement age and and utilize that uh, system for health insurance. Um, So... With that comes the, uh, the rules and regulations and federal code of billing, ambulance, or billing for services rendered, whether it's a clinic, hospital, or ambulance. We're all healthcare care providers. So, for instance, our area, the max reimbursement for um, an uh, EMS call could be right around $342, but you're billing, you know, you might bill that call out at $650. We can't legally collect the remainder of that. Um, and I've had a lot of uh, folks come in my office, um, and bless their heart, I love them because they're just, I owe you this money, but I can't legally take it. You know. So we, we give it to the association for a donation, or they do, I should say. Um, but it's that the hospital is in the same boat. You're, you're bound to take what Medicare or Medicaid provides you, regardless if it covers the cost or not.
0: You have write-offs that are related to that every year, don't you?
1: Yes, yep. So in order to, you know, good accounting principles, you have to show the money come in, the money come out, and, and if you can't collect it, it has to come off of your book so there's a process that that every any ambulance service goes through whether you're a a private you probably work with you know private ambulance services work with their accountant for us it's the auditors at the end of the year and and, uh, the county board and so any uh bill that we cannot cannot legally collect um has to be written off it's we're not writing off ambulance bills that we could still collect and, and sometimes we'll have bills on the books for several years because that people come in and give us $5 a month. That's what they can afford. They're a member of our community. They give us our $5 a month towards the bill, and um, we graciously accept that until they're in a financial position to, to pay the bill off. So, um, But write-offs are just you know claims that we can't legally collect on.
0: Your call volume is it staying
1: about what it has been, Darren? Last year was uh, last year was up over a thousand calls. Um, uh, this year we're on pace for probably about nine hundred, maybe nine hundred and twenty-five. Um, so that kind of fluctuates, you know, up and down. We've had years where uh, we've seen almost fourteen hundred calls for service, and that's quite a few for our for our, our size of ambulance service. Um, but um, we have had as years as low as like 800 and some. So it's kind of difficult you know, to notice uh, if you um, do to be busy, isn't necessarily a good thing for the folks that we're coming to serve. But, but
0: that's an average, you know, give or take around three every single day, isn't it? Yes. Just about, but they never fall that way. Do they? <laughs> no, they don't. They don't.
1: Um, you know, Sunday I was on, uh, on call this last Sunday and, uh, Um, We had uh, one, two, three within about two and a half hours. So it was kind of, you know, and I was just kind of creeping towards the end of my shift, and I shouldn't have even thought about the end of my shift. I just shouldn't have paid attention, and all of a sudden it was bang, bang, bang.
0: (laughs) Would we be surprised as members of the public what the most of your ambulance calls are? I think often, Darren, we think the
1: worst when there's an ambulance call. Yeah, you know the with with EMS, the majority of our calls right now are um, generally related to uh, falls, um, um, uh, responding to emergencies for our elderly population, um, diabetics, um, and then uh, stroke has seemed to be kind of sneaking up. Um, but a lot of times, it's just um, you know a family member um, that. Um, maybe has trying to, to do in-home care for another loved one, maybe it's their husband or wife or son or daughter, and and uh, whatever medical situation has kind of um, put them at a disadvantage. And so a lot of times they just, they'll call an ambulance because they don't know who else to call to, you know, just to transfer that, that loved one from their bed to the wheelchair or, um, you know, just could you know they live alone, and so they'll call, and because they're scared, you know, and they want to have somebody that will be kind and compassionate, and and kind of give them some reassurance or give them some guidance on what they. What they should do? Should I go to a doctor? Am I okay to stay home? Um, so we work through a lot of those, a lot of those issues. It's, it's not, um, pardon the expression, blood or guts. I don't mean to be, you know, crude on the radio, but a lot of our calls aren't related to that. Um, I've seen that. I've seen a lot of uh, things. Uh, and you have to be prepared for that too, don't you? You do. Um, but I'm, I'm. As long as I've been in it, I've had more calls where it's just going and. And and just providing some compassion and professionalism to, um, to maybe to us, not a medical emergency, but to them it is. You know, it is an emergency for them, so...
0: I think it's interesting, though, because it goes to show that, you know, many of those things happen without a moment's notice, no matter how careful we are. And when you talked about caregiving, that, again, signals a change in the things that are happening in people's lives as they, you know, think about how can I afford to take care of maybe someone who's aging or other circumstances. That provides a whole new scenario for people in emergency care, doesn't it?
1: It does. It does. And and so... For EMS, we need to be able to integrate in um, as that as that need becomes more and more um, with our an aging population, um, and um, with, with as far as with timing, that's another thing. You know, I I'd had recently had a call, and and the the patient was saying, "I just can't believe this happened to me right now. I just I cannot believe this. I can't. Th- this couldn't have happened at the worst time," um, and so. Um, you're you're responding to their medical emergency, but you're also responding to the psychological impact that that moment has had on them, um, and anything that we can do to to take the edge off of that and um, do, treat the emergency is what we try to do.
0: Darren Gutchen is our guest on the program today. He is the emergency services director for Richland County. Are there, you had a pancake breakfast on Sunday. Yep. Um, are there some special things that you're doing this week to help highlight EMS week,
1: Darren? Well, the big thing is today's you know morning show. Um, I'm working on getting an article together. Um, I wanted to have it in the paper this week, but my schedule didn't didn't work with me um, and so it'll be out next week but it's going to highlight some things in EMS. We have uh, our ambulance services is going to one of the schools today. Um, I talked to a member of the Kickapoo Rescue Squad this morning and they're going to a school uh, to Kickapoo High School on uh, Wednesday Um, and I know a lot of the other ambulance services I I believe Casanova will be going probably to Weston and and that's something we like to do is reach out to the kids. Um, Sometimes it's reaching out to the younger ones so that they see see us, and they know that if, if there's something going on, they can, we'll help them. And then it's also talking to the seniors about, uh, you know, career paths and choices, and maybe EMS would fit into that. So um, so visiting schools, today's event, and um, then if, you know, people have questions or concerns, comments, um, I'm always willing to talk about EMS. Um, so if I can make the time, I'll do that and visit with anybody about this topic. How do we as a
0: community stand with EMTs to service right now,
1: Darren? Um, well, for the Richland County Ambulance Service, we've got uh, 19 um, licensed um, EMTs, and we have four individuals who serve as drivers for us. Um, we just had seven individuals in the community that went through the EMT class. And so this past Saturday, I was uh, at the technical college um, watching watching my my students, my, my kids, I hope they don't take that as a negative term because it's not. Um, all my students are my kids. I love teaching. Um, but I was watching them as they're nervously pacing the halls, you know, from one station to the next. And and uh, they were they were all successful. Um, so it's on to their written... Taken the national exam, um, and then they can apply for a license. So hopefully, in the very near future, we'll have seven new faces to add to the Richmond County ambulance service. Um, Casanova had a student in, and MUSCADAY had some students put in um, Hillsboro. So, um, so we're 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 getting uh, we're getting some numbers, and we're getting some um, some uh, interest in the field. Um, I KNOW OTHER COMMUNITIES HAVE GOTTEN NEW MEMBERS, TOO, um, BUT I THINK THE the SMALL RURAL SERVICES ARE ALWAYS LOOKING FOR always looking for people that have the time to dedicate to the course and get their license.
0: More than anything else, was there one thing that brought those individuals to the class, Darren? You
1: know, I asked that question when they first get into it. And because for me, you know, my story was uh, I suffered an industrial accident. That's what got me into EMS. And so I asked all of them that. And, um, you know, each one of them had... um, it wasn't just a, well, I want to help people, that which is typically what drives a person to get into this, but each one of them had a different unique story that triggered something in them to want to do this. So um, they come from all different walks of life. Some are, one of my students is going to school right now for her master's degree. She's also working full-time, um, and uh, her involvement was because of a family member who is involved in emergency services and they just seen the dedication and and the time spent and it was like you know what I, I really want to do this too so um it's pretty unique to to hear the different stories of what brings people into the into the profession sounds good we'll talk about some of the things that they're learning
0: because you brought the scope of practice it's really impressive yeah what our emts know and and so forth darren gudgeon is here today on the morning show it's 9 24 welcome back to our morning show visit today on wrco radio this is ems week and it's a good time to talk about various aspects and certainly one of them is the theme this year which i think really is i think it's kind of the theme that you've had all along
1: since i've i've known you darren yeah, this year's theme is uh, EMS strong, stronger together, and um, you know when I when they chose that theme, and I I, I started seeing EM, EMTs and and ambulance services and first responder groups and hospitals start to promote it. I'm hoping that everybody really grasps the big picture, the big message of that, which means EMS strong, stronger together means um, those individuals in the community that we serve support ems and ems supports them it's it's uh, local elected officials and state elected officials and even at the federal level um engaging in um ems as a whole and understanding it and 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 make putting common sense legislation in place so that it supports communities who are trying to support the ambulance service who in turn is trying to support their community um, it's emts themselves um knowing that The the greatest asset every ambulance service has is its people. I mean, you can have a $250,000 ambulance with all the lights and bells and whistles, but that's not going to save somebody's life when they really need it. It's going to be your hands and it's going to be your heart and it's going to be your mind. It's going to be flesh and blood um, reaching out and, and treating flesh and blood. And so we need to support each other because we're the only ones that know what this journey is like. So, uh, EMS strong is, is that, and it's partners. Um, as we talked earlier about the different ambulance services and, and how are we doing for numbers? Um, I was visiting with Dan Wilson yesterday for a little bit and I said, we, we've got it. We're going to get to a point where we have to share people, you know, um, because that's our greatest resource is, is people. And, um, so when we're working with each other, sometimes, you know, sometimes even personalities can clash. And and Dan and I were talking about that, too. And it's for just that one moment, you know, put personalities aside and just treat people because that's what they want us there for. They're, they're having a situation which is overwhelming them, overwhelming their family members and their loved ones. Let's be strong together, treat, and then, you know, go on. So EMS Strong is is... Um, it's a perfect fitting for right now, especially in EMS in Wisconsin, EMS in our local area. Um, we we need each other, all of us, our external, internal partners, our community, and our, our politicians. It's an interesting theme, too, I think, in some ways, Darren, EMS
0: strong. We need EMS to be strong when we are not, because when we need you, we're vulnerable, we're scared, yeah. we're afraid, we're... You know, we're all the things we don't want to be. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we need someone to be strong.
1: Yeah, and I think where the strength actually comes from trust. It's it's um, somebody calls nine one one and we show we show up on scene. Um, They. They want to and most times will automatically trust that we're going to be honorable, respectful, and compassionate and give them 110%, regardless of, of the the gravity of the situation. Um, and and that's why we, we need to... Pr- we need to not only uh, prepare ourselves for that, but portray ourselves as that individual that the community can trust, um, because we are compassionate and honorable and, and intelligent folks that, that provide pre-hospital care. Who then
0: have to keep secrets sometimes, too, don't you?
1: Yes. Yep, we do. And um, that just comes all about being respectful and compassionate. To protect our vulnerability. Exactly. Hmm. Yep. And that's something that's changed, too, over time, hasn't it? It has. Um, you know, before the HIPAA laws in the, in the 1990s, um, it was not uncommon for, you know, maybe EMTs to share a little bit more information about certain calls or or whatever. And, and in, a, in a tight-knit community such as ours or most communities in, in the rural part of Wisconsin— People tend to know or figure things out anyways, but um, I think that the heart behind the HIPAA law, which is to protect the privacy of the individual, I think it's important. You know, um, I had a, another call recently where the lady, she wa- the patient was just, in, she was very embarrassed, you know. She had no reason to be embarrassed, but that's how she felt because of the situation. And um, so we... But if
0: I've fallen and I can't get up, I probably am embarrassed. Right, just exactly. using that as an example.
1: Yep, and so just talking to that patient and letting them know that I, that we understood, you know, that we weren't downplaying her real feelings, her real emotions and actually responding back saying, well, you know, we really appreciate the fact that you feel this way because it shows that you're, you're, you're not taking for granted the service that we're providing and, and we're, we're going to help you, you know, we're going to help you and, and, and We'll do that with all the grace and compassion that we can.
0: We see Baraboo ambulances in the community, Darren. How does that fit into the EMS service that we need?
1: Well, uh, Baraboo EMS being in the area actually uh, fulfills uh, one of the needs that a lot of community hospitals, small community hospitals, are struggling with, and that is moving patients from a critical access facility to a specialty center, such as a stroke center, a cardiac center, um, a trauma center, or a burn center, Pediatric unit, and so um, with before 2006, and actually, you know, in the in the EMS all the way up until the the late 1990s, um, a lot of transfers were just put them in an ambulance, drive as fast as you can. With you know, and sometimes we'd have a nurse, and sometimes we'd have a doctor, but it was all about speed, and it was a, a little less on the care. And um, in 2006, Wisconsin, like many states, said, well, we need to look at this a little bit different. Um, is it is it a good thing to take a community's only ambulance and have them do a transfer from one hospital to another at a lower level of care and then leave that community completely vulnerable if there's another 911 emergency causing another small community's ambulance to come in and cover and that cascade effect? And so um, having Baraboo in the area really really meets that interfacility transfer need for the hospital um, some hospitals and in talking to folks from the Richland hospital they roughly will see somewhere between one to two patients uh, on an average not necessarily you know every day but how it averages out one to two that are transferred out for special care um, so you know 360 some you know transfers in a year um, that's that's a pretty big burden to put on a, a rural combination volunteer slash full-time department. So they really, they fill that need and we really enjoy the relationship we have with them. Um, recently we had uh, EMTs from another community um, who had who had said, well, I didn't realize you guys were still in business. I thought Baraboo had taken you over and um, that's, you know, that's you know, farthest from the truth. Um, but we certainly enjoy the relationship we have with them. Um, they support the hospital and their mission. And, uh, there's even been some calls that, um, when we've been on scene, even as vast as our scope of practice is, we've called them to bring their scope of practice in so the patient can get the best care possible. So we, we enjoy the relationship we have with them.
0: Does that mean then that our ambulance saying our being the Richland County is not involved in
1: transfers anymore then? No, we actually did 124 transfers in 2017. Um... And so, really, it's utilizing uh, resources and emergency management. That's what we do. We utilize the resources we have to meet the the, the demands of the situation. So, if if a patient who's having um, an acute um, MI or myocardial infarct or heart attack needs an ambulance, and another patient needs to go to um, orthopedic surgery for um, uh, hip injury or leg injury, we could take one of those patients and Baraboo could take the other based on our scope of practice. And so we, sh- we share those when we're, we have to make sure that we always have an ambulance available for the public if they call 911 and that is always and will be our primary goal. But we've we've been able to do transfers for the hospital too, so. Um, and. It's, it's being a good community partner. Um, if if we're working with Baraboo and the hospitals working with us, and, and all three are working together, then we're stronger than if we were to try to do this by ourselves. We talked about how many EMTs you have and some
0: new ones coming on. But from a financial standpoint, is there a strength factor right now that the e- EMS in Richland County has, Darren?
1: Yeah, we you know we've been uh, since since the Richland County Ambulance Service started. Um, it was in February of 1973, the ambulance association, which is the volunteer group that came together to provide, they started in 1972, the ambulance service got kicked off in 1973 and it was overseen by the County, um, themselves and all the years 46 years in, in business now, we've, we've never had a true, what would you call a deficit ran in the red, um, where we needed, um, to be bailed out if you will. And recently there was um, a county board had to take an action on um, a deficit and it was, it was, in the newspaper that you know the Richmond county ambulance service had a deficit of i think it was just a little over ninety four hundred dollars and um so some people in the community that kind of shocked them or made them nervous like wait a second i thought that you were running in the black i thought you were financially stable and and i said we are um, but it's it's really just a um what they call gap uh general accounting practices that the county had to go through um to to clean up an account so Before 2015, the ambulance service, Richland County Ambulance Service, was a department under the general fund. They would say, here's how much money you have to run the ambulance service, we would bill everything out, it would cover our expenses, any revenues then went back into the general fund. In 2015, when we partnered up with all the municipalities and the city and the villages that we serve, um, one of the things that was assisted upon, which I, I think was a huge accomplishment was a segregated account so that any money um, generated by the ambulance service in fees or insurance payments and such would go into a segregated account to support the ambulance. Um, And so that was established and the old account that was under the general fund was put to zero. No money went into it, um, no money was taken out of it, it was just an inactive account. Well, in 2017, I had a long-time uh, employee retire. Um, she'd been with the county for almost 29 years, and uh, she had decided that, you know, she wanted to retire. And so um, with that came uh, retirement payout. She was she was an awesome employee, um, and um, I consider her a, a, a close friend. Um, but her payout um, was uh, needed to be, you know, divvied out to her all the years of service and so part of her job was emergency management part of her job was the ambulance and so the county board uh, chair and finance committee decided that instead of having the payout to that employee come out of that segregated account that the municipalities have been working hard to build up and establish that the county would would cover that deficit because it created a deficit And that employee had earned their sick time payout prior to the new Joint Ambulance Committee being established. And so because there wasn't any money in that account anymore, um, they charged it to that account, which created a deficit, and then the county board took action and made that hole again. So... Right now, the uh, the Richland County ambulance service, being overseen by the Joint Ambulance Committee, um, we're we're well in the black, um, and they had great dialogue at the last meeting last week about future plans. Um, how do we how do we continue to grow a fund when we need to replace a new ambulance? Are there building needs? How do we recruit retain the uh, you know people for our ambulance service? So. Uh, financially, we're doing we're doing well, and um, we've we've enjoyed having um, several years of operating in the black. And my focus has always been uh, just a good steward of the money that's provided to me, um, whether it's in fees or donations or whatever.
0: So is that Joint Commission then now the governing body of Richland County uh,
1: Ambulance? Yes, and you know that talk about EMS strong, Ron. The this is this is a good example of EMS strong. The Joint Ambulance Committee is made up of representatives of every local unit of government. We have two from county board. We have two from city council. We have one from every township one and one from every village. So it's a total of so you have 10 townships, two villages. So it would be 12, two city, two county. So we're looking at 16 representatives. They all have a say. Each township has... You know, either a board supervisor or a township supervisor, or somebody they've appointed to sit on here, and they they all have a voice in what's going on. Which prior to 2015, um, the county committee, uh, emergency management, prior to that, the health committee, overseeing the operations. So, um, not to say that that was wrong, but I think that we're stronger now because we have the municipalities have a, have a voice at the table, and and our last meeting was. Um, It was evident that they're really becoming stronger as a group um, um, on the same mission, having the same voice, having good dialogue. Um, It was very productive.
0: Having everybody on the same team, though, is important when you face circumstances like the road closed on Highway 80. How are we going to get where we're going to go while those bridges are being worked on? That, too, takes a cooperative effort, doesn't it?
1: It does. We had a meeting. It would have been uh, mid-March. Or mid-April, I should say, it was about three weeks prior to the the bridge um, bridge project starting, and we, being the sheriff um, and myself, uh, fire chiefs from Richland Center, Casanova, Hillsboro, Yuba, um, EMS chief from Hillsboro, EMS chief from Casanova, uh, the chief for the Yuba first responders, um, and uh, sergeant from the dispatch center here. We all met up in Yuba to how we're we gonna. What's the best way to handle this? And uh, fire the fire chiefs got together. They come up with you know a plan on how they would uh, attack um, any situation that happened, um, on, you know, within that road closure area. Um, we reached out to both Casanova EMS and Hillsborough EMS to help us cover those areas where we would have to like double our time to get to the patient. And they graciously accepted, you know, they were like, yes, absolutely. We're, we're mutual aid partners. And, um, so we kind of, you know, looked at we not kind of we did look at the map, um, and we pre-chose areas that Hillsborough can get to and that Casanova can get to um, that we would normally be able to no problem. But with having three bridges out on Highway 80, it really hampers our 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 speed our time. Um, so there's another good good example of EMS strong where two other ambulance services are helping us, and you know if there was ever a moment we needed to, we would help them. Um, Lone Rock is going to be in the same position with the bridge on Highway 130. Um, I was talking to you know Dan Wilson yesterday, and they're going to be reaching out to Dodgeville and AVOCA um, EMS to be able to cover across the river because they're not going to be able to get to there.
0: Uh, the other thing that's interesting, and I don't know how many years we'd have to go back, but it strikes me, Darren, at some point there would be a time when the emergency room at the hospital would be less capable than what the ambulance is today, given the training of EMTs. Take nothing away from the hospital. But, you know, if we turn back time long enough, the advanced things that you're doing are kind of the things that we would have expected to have happen in the emergency room at the hospital, now happening in the field.
1: Yeah, Yeah, one of... One of those examples would be when I when I first got on the service. If there was an individual who um, had was you know had been battling diabetes, and they had a moment where their blood sugar dropped, they become hypoglycemic. Um, we would, if if they were unconscious, we would literally put them on the cot, give them oxygen, make sure their airway stayed open and clear, and we would transport as fast as we could to the hospital because all we could do was manage that airway. Um, today, now, um, I recently went on an ambulance call uh, where a patient was um, has been battling diabetes, was on uh, hypoglycemic, their blood sugar was in the low thirties. Um, and they were slowly becoming more and more unresponsive. So right there in their living room, um, I started an IV, established IV. I gave her the exact same medicine that you would receive in the emergency room, and within probably two minutes, she, her whole mental status turned around, and she was able to, to communicate and talk. Um, we did end up transporting because there were uh, other things going on, but we were able to take that patient from completely unresponsive um, to a blood sugar um, above um, above their normal and their mentation had returned and they were able to swallow, follow commands, communicate. She was actually cracking a few jokes with me when we were rolling into the emergency room. Um, and I looking back 20 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do that, you know, um, and not that that was bad medicine then. It's just that was the standard of care then. Um, so now, um, the, with the advancements of the scope of practice, um, you know e- EMTs—not even just advanced like myself, but just EMTs—are doing things like twelve lead capturing a twelve lead ECG right in your living room if you're having chest pain, and sending that to a hospital. You know, and I can think of uh, the TV show Emergency. You know, when Johnny and Roy are calling Rampart and they're sending off this weird-looking squiggly line on a two-inch piece of paper. Um, And now I'm doing that, we're doing that today. You know, physicians can actually see what that 12 lead is showing in the field. Um, Giving uh, nitro to chest pain patients, giving um, albuterol or atrovent to asthmatics, um, inserting airways into people when they're not able to breathe on their own. Um, You know, establishing IV access through drilling into into the tibia. Um, to push the fluid through the marrow, um, just things that you know were typically then just emergency room, and there will always be a need for an emergency room. And none of us are physicians or are RNs, but as the system strengthens, and if it strengthens in a way that is smart, smart planning, smart curriculums, what we actually do is we strengthen the continuum of care. So when we come in and we've done what we could pre-hospital, the registered nurse and the ER techs can kind of pick up where we left off, and the physician builds upon that. Um, we can have really good outcomes for our patients. But it has to be done in a smart way, and the curriculum has to really match um, that continuum.
0: You alluded to this earlier, but strokes are a real piece of your service, aren't
1: they? Yes. Yep. And, and it's becoming more and more... Um, I don't want to say hot button, um, because it's always been on the forefront, but, um, last night, Dr. Harris, uh, Dr. Andy Harris, our new medical director, he came in, uh, he was doing some training with us last night and he said, you know, that even as long as he's been in medicine, um, things like strokes and cardiac have the, that we've changed how we treat them and how we assess them and all the literature that I read, you know, through uh, the journal of emergency medical services and EMS one and that it's all showing that there's a better way to treat people that are having a stroke, a faster way to recognize. And it's all about time. It's about being on the clock. It's about speed of treatment and transport. So, um, you know, fast, FAST has been something that's out there uh, the acronym FAST and for those that might not know what that means uh, F stands for face um, uh, S is for slurred speech T is for time um, and A is for arm drift I kind of did that out of order but I'm kind of an abstract person sometimes Ryan. so, so somebody's if, if I have any teachers out there that had me in grade school and they're they're, they're doing surprised that, you
0: got all four yeah they? they're like
1: hey he got them all you know <laughs> um, so it's just something to get to the public Think of uh, think of how CPR, prior to 2000, where we didn't have AEDs in the public, um, now we have AEDs everywhere. We're teaching students in grade school how to do CPR. The Lions Club just did a friends and family uh, CPR class, and we're able to put a second AED. Um, fire service can relate to this too when we te- when we taught everybody how to do a proper fire drill and we built fire codes to to make buildings safer and put in those preventative things fire calls have gone down I don't know that we're ever going to be able to control how many stroke calls we have but if we can educate the public and the pre-hospital providers on early recognition effective treatment not just well we've always treated in this way so let's do this um, but effective treatment we can have people can have better outcomes from strokes so
0: Darren Gutchen is here today. We'll take a final break and give you something good to think about as we move through EMS week today on the morning show from WRCO FM. It's 10 minutes before 10. Richland County Emergency Services Director Darren Gudgeon is our guest on the program today. This is EMS Week, a great time to tip your hat to the first responders and EMTs that serve our area, the entire area, because you're all on the same team, and that whole theme of being
1: strong only works when you're all on the same team doesn't it yeah absolutely it's it's you know today we spent quite a bit of time talking about the richland county ambulance service Um, but there are are several other ambulance services um, that come into the area in richland county particular kickapoo rescue squad uh, casanova area rescue squad lone rock area rescue squad muscaday rescue blue river rescue and even our partners when we have a call where there's more victims than we have ambulances, we would call on those surrounding us, you know? So um, we need each other. We, we really do. And and if if you're a licensed EMT and you're in this profession, only you know what it's like to walk down this road. Just like only a law enforcement officer is going to know what it's like to wear that badge and serve the public or a firefighter or a teacher or uh, somebody in the military. It's, it's our journey that really connects us to another person who's walked that same path and, and, and been in those same shoes. You have some words you want to leave with us in closing today, Darren. I do. Um, 2001 was, a uh, was a difficult year for my, in me in my career. I'd had a few calls that, um, really shook the foundation of, you know, can I do this? And, and then there was an event in, uh, September, uh, of 2001 most people remember uh, september 11th um the uh, terrorist attacks on the trade center the pentagon and and in pennsylvania and just a day before uh, friar michael judge who was a was a chaplain for the fire department of new york city had um was uh, doing a, a ceremony at one of the old fire stations. And he had a quote that um, has stuck with me since the day I found it. And, and I think it really, really hits home today when we talk about EMS strong. So I want to take a moment and read that quote. Um, this was on September 10th, 2001. And it was Just one day before 9 11. One day before, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, fire Michael Judge goes on to say good days, bad days, but never a boring day on this job. You do what God has called you to do. You show up, you put one foot in front of the other, and you do your job, which is a mystery and a surprise. You have no idea when you get into that rig what God is calling you to do. But he needs you, so keep going. Keep supporting each other. Be kind to each other. Love each other. Work together. You love the job. We all do. And what a blessing that is. And that's just kind of stuck with me. I have this in a a frame in my office. Um, when I talk to other people who have been in EMS, um, we talk the same language and they understand. And if there's ever been a time that EMS needs, uh, EMTs needs to support each other, um, that time is now. Um, I think we all enjoy community support. Um, now it's time to be strong for each other, um, be strong for our partnering agencies. Um, and, um, just, you know, we have a gift, you know, um, I can't build a house. I can tear one down. I can't build one. (laughs) Um, but my gift has been to serve people. And, um, I love this gift and anybody else that has the same gift. Um, they, they know what I'm talking about. They know, um, the, the pride and the, and the passion and the energy that having this gift can bring. And, um, so my, my, my words, to, to all the listeners, to all the licensed EMTs, the service directors, the hospitals, the communities, is really take this year's theme, EMS Strong, and literally apply it. Pick Pick somebody in this profession that that you know could use you to be strong for them, and and do it, and it, it will reciprocate back. It, it really will, because we need every ambulance service. We need Lone Rock to be strong. We need Casanova Ambulance Service to be strong. We need Richland County Ambulance Service to be strong, and our hospital and our partners like Baraboo and MedFlight, MedLink. We 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 really all of us need to to strengthen each each other, and so the theme of EMS Strong really hits home for me um and that's my drive right now is just to promote that theme and not just this week but for the rest of my career
0: sounds good thanks for being here today best wishes during this week and every week thank you ron good to see darren gudgeon our guest in the studio this morning on wrco radio on the morning show we'll be back with more tomorrow